0: goodness is running after, it's running after me, and all my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good, with every breath there
1: this morning, this is our surrender. You are all we are chasing. God, I pray this morning that as a church, we lay down all these ridiculous traditions we have, all of these crazy ideas of what we think it means to be Christian, God. You told us in your word what it means to be Christian. So I pray this morning that we lay down all of these ideas that we have of how great we need to be at religion and just surrender it and just try for a second to just lift up our hands and worship God because starting now we're going to be unapologetically Christian no one is going to be able to tell us how to how to worship you no one's going to tell us how to pray because we are the body of Christ and if we need answers we're going to look to your word And we're going to look to you, and we're going to look up with our hands held high and ask our Father. We're not going to look around and start seeing what other people are doing and comparing ourselves to them. We're going to start comparing ourselves to you. We're going to start living in accordance to your word, God, every day, in and out, when we wake up, when we go to bed. Because when others start to look at us, they can maybe see a glimpse of what heaven looks like and what you look like and what your love is like because we are living in accordance to your word, God. I pray this morning that we really, we just open up our hearts to worship. We open up our ears to listen to what you're trying to tell us. We open up our thoughts and everything for you to just come down and rain your presence on us, God because we are lost and we are confused and we are trying to look for answers in all the wrong places, God. So I pray this morning that you bring your Holy Spirit down and you say, stop, child, and listen to me. Just convict your people, God. Convict them of your love and your grace and your mercy. Help them to look up when they wanna look down and cry. Help them to raise their arms when they just feel like everything's too heavy. Breathe life into those that just feel like there is nothing left living for. Lift up your people, God. We need it now more than ever. I don't know what everyone in this room is going through, God, but we're all going through something. So touch your people. We're ready. Your name
2: we pray, amen. 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 Good morning, church. Welcome to you folks here in the house. You may be seated. And welcome to you folks who are joining us online. We are so glad that you have joined us this morning and you're part of the worship here at New Promise Church. And I'm glad if you're sitting here in, in the house that you're joining us this morning too. Um, if you don't know who I am, I don't know if we have some visitors this morning or not, but I'm Pastor Rory Gruters. I get the opportunity to be the pastor here at MPC, and we're just so glad that you're here this morning. Um, take your Bibles and open them to Job chapter 1. Thanks, guys. And as you're doing that, I just want to tell you about some things that we're excited about. Hang on one second. Uh, is this somebody's phone? There's a phone call. Hello? Hello? Is that somebody's phone? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Some of the the things we're excited about coming up here at at MPC. I'm excited about the message that uh, we're going to be looking at next Sunday morning uh, called Getting Back to the Heart of Worship. I know it's in the video announcements uh, after the service. I don't want to get too far ahead or anything, but I am excited about the message Getting Back to the Heart of Worship. And what we're going to look at is... What should be going through our minds? What should be going through our heads as we're worshiping? And some of the things that we're going to bring out next week um, might surprise you. And hopefully all the things we're going to bring out are going to inspire you to get back to the heart of worship in the midst of the conversation about music and everything else that has nothing to do, really, small part of what worship truly is. And so we're going to be getting back to the heart of worship next Sunday morning, excited about that. And then in February, I'm starting a series called As in the Days of Noah. We're going to springboard for four weeks from Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24 about living in the end times. And I'm not saying we're there yet, but I I think the series is timely. And we're going to go from Jesus' words in Matthew 24 back into Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to look at what Jesus said, Compared to what Noah went through, and we're going to look at some really fascinating things. One of the weeks, uh, if you like history and archaeology, it's fascinating to you like it is me. One of the weeks is going to be uh, forensically fantastically fun uh, for you because we're going to look at possibly three locations of the ark's final resting uh, spot in the mountain range of Ararat. And then the other weeks, we're always going to bring in the idea of this. Whose Noah are you? Whose Noah are you in somebody's life? Because that's really what the series is all about. The series is all about God's grace before God's judgment and how God used Noah to save people before his judgment came. So I'm really excited about that series and also excited about what we're going to be launching uh, a small group study for about four weeks, also in February, every Wednesday night right here in the cafe. And it's a small group study about how to get Jesus into your everyday conversations. With, with non-believers especially, at home, at work, in school, out in the community. It's, it's a very interactive study. It's not so much lecture the way that uh, Revelation was, but it's more, much more interactive study. It should be a whole lot of fun. It's called, Let Me Tell You About Jesus. I think it's a lot easier to get Jesus into our everyday conversations for the purpose of sharing the hope in Jesus with people around us, for the purpose of leading them to faith in Jesus. In other words, it goes to our mission statement, to seek, save, and disciple the lost. It's called, Let Me Tell You About Jesus. So, it's really a lot of fun. I'm hoping uh, that you're looking forward to it. That's also in the video announcements as well. You need to sign up for the class as well. There will be some homework and stuff like that, even on the, the first uh, day coming to. We, we need to know who's coming so we can contact you about a week ahead and give you a heads up and say, hey, when you come this first Wednesday night, here's how I want you to interact. Here's what I want you to be thinking about and, and that type of thing. Looking really forward to it. Let me tell you about Jesus. A small group coming up on Wednesday nights in February. But as you're turning to Job chapter 1, either here at home or there at home, uh, let's go to God, as we go to God's word, let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, because it is always our pleasure and it's our privilege to turn our eyes towards your word and our heart towards home. And this morning, Father, your word, as always, it's going to be a lamp unto our feet, it's going to be a light to our path. It's going to show us how then we should live in the world that we live in today. And and so, Father, I I simply ask you to anoint my lips to preach, anoint our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive everything that you have for us right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen, amen. Now, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about how when life stretches out our fears and frustrations, we need God to stretch out our faith. Whether you're dealing with pandemics or political problems or problems with people or problems with pain, whatever it is, personally, politically, pandemically, you know, collectively or individually, when life stretches out our fears and frustrations, we need God to stretch out our faith. And what we're going to do today is, I want to land this series by considering... Three different types of faith and considering Job's type of faith and what got Job through the things he went through in life. By the way, did you know that there were three different types of faith? You might be saying, Pastor, I didn't know there were three different types of faith in the Bible. I thought there was just one type of faith. I didn't say three different types of faith in the Bible. I said there are three different types of faith in people. Three different types of faith in people. For instance, the first type of faith is fair-weather faith. Fairweather faith is, is where people read the Bible easily, they pray a lot, they go to church, they're involved in church, they're hop, skipping, and jumping because they're getting their way in life. They're getting everything that they want, everything that they expected. The sun is shining, it's a beautiful day outside. The fairweather type of people have this faith and trust in God on fairweather days that God can overcome, or God can do anything, and they can overcome everything because it's a bright sunny day. It's, it's kind of like what I say, it's really easy to preach things on Sunday, but it's essential to live them on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Amen? Well, the problem with fair-weather faith is that you're not always going to have fair-weather. People who have fair weather faith, as soon as the weather turns, so to speak, and now they're not getting their way, th- bad things are happening that they're not expecting to have happen in their life, what happens is they get confused and they get disillusioned with God. They they just totally get confused with God. They're like, God, I don't get this. I'm praying the way I'm supposed to be praying. I'm going to church the way I'm supposed to be going to church. I'm reading the Bible the way I'm supposed to be reading the Bible. I'm even giving in the offering on a regular basis like I'm supposed to be doing. But Lord, why are bad things happening to me? And people with fair weather faith, instead of drawing closer to God, they tend to back up from God a little bit because they're confused, they're a little disoriented, they're a little disillusioned, because fair weather faith, people think bad things should never happen to them. And so when bad weather happens, when bad things start happening, they kind of pull back from God. You'll notice people with fair weather faith, all of a sudden, they won't be at church as, as often as they used to be. They won't be involved in church the way they used to be. Maybe they aren't praying like they used to pray. Only God and them would know that, I suppose. And maybe they're not reading the Bible as much as they used to read the Bible. And and why is that? Well, because they have fair-weather faith, and the weather went foul. But then when the weather turns good again, when and if things get better, well, then they're going to go back to church. They're going to go back to reading the Bible. They're going to go back to praying more and everything because, unfortunately, they have just fair-weather faith in God. Now, the second kind of faith is the opposite of fair-weather faith, and that's called foul-weather faith. And these are people <coughs> who don't regularly read the Bible, they don't regularly pray, they don't regularly go to church until something bad happens in life. These, these people are crisis-type faith people, foul-weather faith people. They pray panic prayers of desperation. In other words, when bad things start happening, all of a sudden they start praying. And all of a sudden they start going through the Bible trying to find the answers to the problems that they're having in life. And they'll start coming to church more often. And maybe they might even start a counseling sessions with pastors or something to try and figure out what, what's going on and everything, right? But, and, and within these counseling sessions and, and within this crisis times of life and their panic prayers and everything, they might, they might bargain with God. You know, they might say s- things like this in their prayers, like, oh Lord, if you'll just get me through this, I promise to do that. Lord, if you just help me out, I promise to read the Bible more. Lord, I promise to give more. Lord, if you'll just, I'll go to church more. Lord, if you'll just, I'll pray more. It's amazing how people with foul-weather faith in crisis time, paying panic prayers, they actually end up praying about praying more to God. And so foul-weather faith people, they only seem to have a need for God in their life when things are going bad in their life. And then when things, when and if things do get better in life, it's unfortunate how those people will just start backing away a little bit. All of a sudden, you know, they, they're like, okay, things are good again. Life's happening the way I'm expecting it to again. We're back to balance. Everything is good. And so I don't feel the need to, to pray as much as I used to. And maybe they're not in the Bible again as much as they used to because they're not searching desperately for answers. And, and, and they're not at church as much as they used to be. You know, it's, it's easier to sleep in on Sundays rather than get up and go to church. I'll just watch online. I'm not accusing anybody watching online of having foul-weather faith. I'm just saying it's really easy to just sit at home and go, I'll just watch today online instead of actually come and make the effort and be there and everything, right? And, and why is that? Why are people, some people like that? It's because they have foul-weather faith in God. They, they think they only really need God when things aren't going well. And they, pay pan- they pray panic prayers during crisis times. It's the way Billy Sunday described them. They get religion in foxholes. Um, Billy Sunday was a preacher back in the 1900s or 1800s maybe, right at the turn of that century. And he, he one of the things he said is everybody gets religion in foxholes. And that's true. Especially foul weather faith people. Foul-weather faith people, they get religion in foxholes because that's when they seem to only need God in their life is when things are going bad. As soon as things start turning good again, then they kind of back off from God. So you got fair-weather faith, you got foul-weather faith, and then you have all-weather faith. All-weather faith is people pray regularly, not not out of crisis or comfort, you know, not because it's a sunny day or because it's a crisis storm of life. No, they pray every day because they are in a commitment and in a communion with God that they truly enjoy. They read the Bible every day, not because they have to, but because they want to. They actually think it's fun. They're not trying to desperately discover the solutions to the problems that they're having in life. They're just communing with God through reading about God, and they're allowing God through reading and through prayer and His Holy Spirit to apply it to their daily life. They're probably doing soap like we do soap here at NPC. They're doing scripture, observation, application, and prayer because they want to. They think it's fun. People with all-weather faith go to church. They'll go to church on Sundays. They go to church Wednesday night. They're always at church because they think it's fun. They got all weather faith. They love getting together with God's people. They love worshiping God together in spirit and in truth. They love hearing from His Word. They love even serving in ministries. People with all weather faith will be faithfully committed to serving in ministries. Maybe it's the worship team, maybe it's ladies' group, men's group, children's ministries, teens, maybe it's in a small group. People with all weather faith, they love to serve in the ministry because they don't have a fair-weather faith. They don't have a foul-weather faith. They have an all-weather faith that never fluxes to what's going on in their life. They are still um, affected by what's going on in their life, just like anybody else. When good things happen, they're a little more elated. When bad things happen, they're affected by it, just like anybody else. But they're not like anybody else. They're not just like everybody else. They're just not the average, ordinary people. They are above average and extraordinary people Because they have an all-weather faith and trust in God. It's kind of like having a really good set of tires on your car. You ever heard of all-season tires? Or year-round tires? Sometimes the sidewall will say all-season. Sometimes I've seen it on the sidewall, it says year-round tires or all-weather tires. It's very important. Those are probably the best tires that you could have on your car because they're designed for all season All year long, you get your best comfort, your best performance, and your best traction in those tires all year long. They're good for summer, fall, winter, and spring. You can depend on those all-season tires to always give you the best comfort you could have in your ride, the best performance, mileage, uh, longevity, they last a long time, and the best traction. They keep you safe. They keep him from sliding around and spinning out and and everything. I'm glad that that I have all-weather tires on my car because remember on Friday a couple of days ago how we had an ice storm, kind of a snow-sleet ice storm uh, down here in the Kirtland area? I was coming to church... Uh, down Highway 6, and and the people that have told me when we first moved here in the winter time when the weather's inclement, stay off Highway 6 because it's so much of a hilly roller coaster road, um, and it's not like in you know, the main drag like 306 or something like that. Stay off it because it'll get slippery, it'll get icy, and everything. Well, y'all were absolutely right. Because I'm coming down the hill, and, and I forget why I was going that way. Oh, because I was going over to Buckeye Chocolates, you know, product shot. Buckeye Chocolates in Shardon. It's a great coffee house. I do a lot of my meetings, if not all my meetings there, because it's just a great atmosphere, environment. It's a lot of fun. Well, Friday, I had to pop over to church before I went to Buckeye Chocolates. So I was coming down Highway 6, down one of those really steep hills. And on the other side of the hill, coming towards me, double lane, not, not divided, no shoulders, coming towards me is another car. All of a sudden, as I'm coming down my side of the hill, he or she's coming down their side of the hill, all of a sudden, I notice they start doing 360s coming down the hill. They lost traction, and all of a sudden, they just started slowly spinning out as they were getting towards the bottom of the hill. The real problem with that is they were on my side of the road and they were kind of like right in the road. They were perpendicular to the road at one point, and I'm looking at this, and I'm assessing the situation, and I'm going, okay, Lord, I've got a guardrail there. I've got a ravine there. I've got a car that's all over the road right now. I'm coming down. I wasn't driving too fast. I was doing light on the brakes. I was downshifting the transmission because I know how to drive, and all kinds of weather actually. And and I was but I was still coming down a steep embankment and I was going, Oh dear Lord Jesus, please get that car out of my way. Because I didn't want to hit him and I didn't want to go over the guardrail, go over to the ravine. I, I, I pretty much figured this is gonna total my car and total their car if I end up hitting them and everything. So with a few car links to spare, the the car finally Uh, rotates around and gets back on their side of the road, and we're now both facing the same direction the way I'm going. And I was slowed down, I looked over at them, and they're like, you know, and I'm like, you right. They're like, yeah, I'm okay, and everything, and everything. And so I just kept my momentum going, because I didn't want to get stuck at the bottom of the hill. So I kept going. That that was near miss number one. Near miss number two was actually coming back after I was at the church. It wasn't the same hill, but it was the first hill you hit down here, where it kind of goes down real steep, and then it banks to the right, and then comes back up even steeper than that. I'm coming down that hill. I get to the bottom, going up. We notice that there's a mail truck that's kind of spun out, funny on the on the road, blocking a little bit of the lane and stuff. He got stuck. And then there's a white car ahead of him, a really little white car ahead of him. And then there's us three, and I'm the third of the three. And all of a sudden, we notice this white car is going up the hill and this white car starts losing traction. And all of a sudden, the white car starts losing traction, slipping back a little bit and going side to side and everything. Never buy a little absolute. Don't never buy a light car. Buy the heaviest car you can find and drive that because you'll always have better traction. So he starts, um, you know, fishtailing around and stuff. The three cars we now on the wrong side of the road, going up the oncoming lane, going up the hill because if we stay behind them, we're all getting stuck in the same place and we're going to slide into each other. So the the pickup truck that was first, he clears and goes around. The car that was in front of me, a little black um, Fiat or something, uh, gets right right next to the white car, and all of a sudden the brake lights come on. And I see him looking over at the white car, like, you know, and I'm like, so I very politely uh, reminded him that this was a really bad place to brake, because we're both going up an icy hill, right? So I'm on the horn. I'm like, don't brake here! Keep going! And so his lights come off, his brake lights come off, and he keeps going on. He clears. I'm making it around, because i got to get back to my side of the road, because we're going uphill the wrong way on an icy hill. All of a sudden, just as soon as I clear and get back on my side, a a train of about three or four cars crests over the hill, uh, with a big Dodge pickup truck was the first one coming over the hill. My second near-miss brush with death on Friday. Okay, that type of thing. Why am I telling you that story? Because I'm so glad I had all-weather tires. They gave me good traction. You know, that's what all-weather tires are supposed to do. They're comfortable, they're, they're good-performing tires, and they give you traction, and they keep you from spinning out when life gets slippery. See, that's exactly what our all-weather faith is. All-weather faith in God gives us good traction When life is slippery, and it keeps us from spinning out to fears and doubts that things won't work out, or spinning out to frustrations that can happen in our lives. And that's the type of faith, all-weather faith, is the type of faith that every Christian should have, every Christian can have, and every Christian absolutely needs to have. All-weather faith. Why? Because James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Therefore, let perseverance finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Yay! Nobody likes that. It is so easy to preach on a Sunday, but it's incredibly hard to live through that, right? Right? Because it's the testing of our faith, or is usually when the weather turns bad and things happen we don't expect and we don't like, and we start freaking out and flipping out to fears and frustrations and things like that. But it is a natural. What we're told is kind of a natural, pro, a, a natural progress of perseverance being forged in the fire of the testing of our faith. Because see, that's exactly what those trials and troubles do in our lives, it, they test our faith. Not so that God knows, but so that we find out what we're made of. Because God already knows what we're made of. I know some people who have said over time that, well, God's just testing my faith. No, he, he kind of is, kind of isn't. It's really more the testing is coming from life itself. And, and it's certainly not for God to find out what you're made of. Because to, to think that way is actually accidentally kind of insulting to God's omniscience. God knows everything. And Scripture tells us God knows you better than you you know yourself. God knows me better than I know myself. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Therefore, God knows everything about us. So the trials and the testing of our faith is not for God's benefit or or blessing. It's for ours. It's for us to find out what we're made of. Because God already knows us. God knows your name. God knows your age. God knows where you are. God's got GPS on you all the time. That's God uh, positioning system on you all the time. God knows what you like, what you don't like. God knows the decisions you make before you even make them. God knows your eternal destiny, and he knows the destinations in between today and forever. God knows. There is not one thing about you that God does not know. God knows everything about you, which includes he knows what kind of faith you have. He knows if you have fair-weather faith, foul-weather faith, or an all-weather faith and trust in Him. I kind of think it was like that with Job, back in Job chapter 1 and 2, and actually for all of the year or so of suffering that Job went through from chapters 1 all the way through chapter 40 or 41. I I think God knows everything about everyone, and I think God knew what Job was made out of. I think God knew that Job didn't have a fair-weather faith— Job didn't have a foul-weather faith. Job had an all-weather faith. Even though Job was affected by the incredible, horrible, tragic suffering that he went through, more than any of us, hopefully, will ever go through in our lives, certainly more than maybe anybody else in the Bible went through in their life, except for Jesus who bore the sins of the world while he was on the cross, Job went through the most horrific things in life, in one year of his life, that anybody could ever go through in life. But he never blamed God, he never accused God of doing wrong, and apparently he never lost his faith and trust in God, because he didn't have a fair-weather faith or a foul weather faith, he had an all-weather faith and trust in God. You see, Job 1 and 2, it gives us a better perspective of a bigger picture. I say that a lot. It comes from from Revelation, my home, my small group study in Revelation chapter 12. But I think it really works in lots of contexts. It's always good to have a better perspective of a big of the bigger picture of what's going on, and that's what Job 1 and 2 gives us today. I wish Job would have had this from God when he was going through it. I I, I truly think it would have been a lot nicer if God would have just said, "Hey, Job, this is what's going on. This is why it's." going on, and this is what I'm going to do at the end, okay? At the end, you're going to be great, don't worry about it. Right now, it's going to be a season of suffering in your life, but God doesn't do that for Job. God does do that for our benefit and for our blessing. Therefore, I think there's a lot that we can learn from Job about when life stretches out our fears and our frustrations, how we need to let God stretch out our faith and give us an all-weather faith like Job had in God. So, come with me to Job chapter 1, and let's read the first 12 verses. It says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job, or Job, if you're mispronouncing it. (laughs) This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all of the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters over to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking well, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts so Job every day interceded for his children, I think that is fabulous this was Job's regular custom now one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them the Lord said to Satan where have you come from? and Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil." Well, Satan replied, "Well, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds spread out throughout the land?" but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, very well then everything he has is in your power but on the man himself do not lay a finger and then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I think there are four things that we like this story kind of a small repeat of this in chapter 2. It's the same type of conversation Satan and the Lord will have on another day in chapter 2 in Job's life. And on that day, he'll lose his health, along with his wealth and his children that he lost the day before. But I think there are four things that we can learn about our lives with God based on Job's life with God in these early chapters. Number one, the first thing we learn is that God knows you, loves you, and is for you more than you can imagine or know. God is so in love with you, he is so for you, and he is so on your side, you can't comprehend the fullness of it, and neither can I. Notice what he says about Job to Satan. He says, Have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless. Now, that doesn't mean sinless, and it doesn't mean perfect because only God is sinless and only God is perfect, but Job is blameless. Now, I'm not exactly sure how this worked before Jesus, before the cross, but it appears that Job was in such a right standing with God that God gave him a grace already in his life from all of his human, normal, sinful imperfections. He already gave him a grace somehow, or forgiveness or something, where he was not blamed for his human sin sinfulness anymore. And and again, I don't know how that worked, and a lot of theologians don't know how that worked. That's one of the anomalies of Job's story. Somehow, Job had this grace of God so effective in his life that God could look at Job and not say he was sinless, not say he was perfect, but say he was blameless. And he was upright before God, meaning he was righteous with God. He was in a right standing with God, and that's because he revered God. You know, they use the word fear, and I think we need to use the word revere. It means the same thing, but fear means something different in our language. Revere conveys more what we would understand. High regard, high respect for God. Highest regard, highest respect for God. So he was upright with God, blameless with God. He revered God. And that prompted God to say to Satan, have you ever considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him in all the land. Can you imagine God saying that about you? Wouldn't you like to hear God say that about you? I'll be honest, I would. I think it'd be kind of cool to hear my Heavenly Father think so highly of me that he would look Satan in the eye and say, have you considered my son, my daughter? Put your name in there. My servant, put your name in there. Have you considered my servant, Bob? Have you considered my servant, Dwayne? Ha- have, have you considered my, my daughter, Audrey? Have you considered my other daughter, one of my other daughters, Pam? There's nobody like them in all the land. Wouldn't you like to hear God say that about you? Well, He does say that about you. He is that into you. He believes in you. He loves you. He is so for you. In fact, He knows you better than you know yourself. There's a lot of scriptures that say that. There's a, f- a few scriptures, actually, that say that directly, that God knows us better than we know ourselves. What does that mean? It means God knows your name. God knows where you are. He knows your age. He he knows your character. He knows where to find you. He knows where you're at at all times, and he knows how you're wired. He knows how you're built. Now you might think, well, I don't know, man. I, I'm kind of an introvert. I'm soft spoken. I don't like confrontation, right? I don't know anybody who does like confrontation, and, and I hope to never meet them. But, uh, you know, you might just be thinking, I don't know. I'm, I'm even kind of a coward, maybe. You know, what do you maybe, you might be thinking, what? Like, I'm really meek and mild and not all that wild, you know? It's like, I, I don't know. But I think God knows you better than you know yourself. I think God knows that when push comes to shove, you'll shove back. You'll stand up and be fearless, and you will be faithful, because God knows you have an all-weather fa- all faith and trust in Him that hell should be afraid of, because Satan can't stop you. Satan might be able to push you around a little bit, he might be able to harass you a bit, like he did Job, but he can't stop you. Because God knows you don't have a fair-weather faith, you don't have a foul-weather faith, you've got an all-weather faith and trust in God. And, and wouldn't you like to hear how God talking about you, like proud parents and grandparents talk about their kids? How many people have ever been around a parent or a grandparent talk about their kids and say man have you know my grandson you know my granddaughter you know my my son my dark man there is nobody like them right um, I I love working with upward now that the upward season is going because I get an opportunity to meet a lot of people on Saturdays and everything and I interact with a lot of grandparents and a lot of parents and stuff like that and and it was uh, two two Sunday or two Saturdays ago I was out there in the lobby And somebody was talking to me, and they said, Pastor, I don't mean to brag on my kid, but, you know, and I said, are you kidding me? Brag on your kid. That's what you're supposed to be doing. It says in Proverbs 27, 2, that let another person's mouth praise you and not your own. And I believe that begins with parents and grandparents, and I think they get that from God. So I looked at this person, I said, brag on your kid, you're supposed to be bragging on your kid. Build them up, tell me how great they are. I want to hear it. You know, I'll listen for a while, I won't go on and on and on, but I'll listen for a while at how great their kids are and stuff. That's absolutely, I will never shoot anybody down who wants to brag on their kid or on their grandkid, whether it's how they play basketball, or how they do this, or how they do that. It doesn't matter to me. Why? Because I really think that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be going around talking each other up, not talking each other down. And I believe that starts at home with parents and with grandparents, the way we talk about our kids and our grandkids, and I think we get that from God. And how do I know God does that? Because he did that with Job. God looked at Satan in the eye and said, by the way, have you considered my kid Job? Have you considered my servant Job? He didn't say grandkids, because God doesn't have any grandkids. But he said, have you ever considered my son Job, my servant Job? Baby, there is nobody like him in all of the land. Wouldn't you like to hear God talk about you that way? I hope you would because he does. You got to put your name in that space. You go, Pastor, I don't know if that's arrogant. That's not arrogant. That's acknowledging reality. God so loves you. He is so into you. He so believes in you and he brags about you because he is so into you and believing in you, which is really good because the opposite of that is true. And number two, Satan hates you. Satan is against you. And Satan is coming after you. Now, I don't mean to freak you out, and I don't mean to say there's a a devil or a demon around every corner. But Satan, by definition, means uh, adversary. Adversary means to oppose. If you read in the Bible, you'll see that Satan opposes, he's the adversary of God, of God's creation and of God's created image and likeness, which is humanity, which includes you and me. So we have to come to a realization that the reason bad things happen to good people is because Satan hates us. Satan hates humanity because all of humanity is created in the image and the likeness of God. Satan is the reason that there is death, destruction, and diseases in the world. Satan is the reason that people are pitted against people, nations go to war against other nations, and Satan spends his time ultimately trying to get humanity pitted against God by getting people to sin against God and putting it in the verbiage of of Job's wife in chapter 2 or 3 to curse God and die. She meant it mercifully, but Satan is standing in the shadows and on the sidelines of his wife's mercy going, yeah, do it, yeah, do it, yeah, do it. And that's because Satan hates Job. And Satan hates you. And Satan hates me. And he's coming after us. God said to Satan two times in Job, one and two, where have you been, Satan? And Satan said, I've been roaming the whole earth, going back to and fro. Now, if you attach that to 1 Peter chapter 5, you're going to see where it says, Satan roams around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Not saying there's a devil around every corner but you have to remember, have to have a bigger perspective, uh, better perspective of the bigger picture. You gotta go back to Revelation 13. And you've got to realize that Revelation 13 says that when Satan was cast out of heaven in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, when Satan was cast out of heaven, even though Jesus said in, in Matthew 25 he saw Satan fall like lightning and that hell was prepared for the devil and his demons and their followers, you have to go to Revelation 12 where it shows us definitively that when Satan was cast out of heaven, he didn't go directly to hell. He will go to hell, but he's not there right now. Revelation 12 tells us that Satan was cast down to earth, in specific, the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, where what did he do? He pitted Adam and Eve against God. Then through the sin, he got Adam and Eve to be pitted against each other. Does that not sound like somebody who is an adversary who has come to kill, steal, and destroy just because he's a psychomaniac who opposes God, God's creation, and God's created image and likeness of all humanity? Satan is why there is death, disease, and destruction, not just in Job's life, but throughout the course of humanity. Satan and sin is why bad things happen to good people. Satan and sin is why people sin against God, Every day, in every way. Whether you're a homosexual or a heterosexual, Democrat or Republican, Scripture says everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Why is that? Because Satan was cast out of heaven, cast down to hell, he roams the earth, and he's looking to see whom he may devour, and whom he may get to pit against one another, to get nations to go to war against other nations, and to pit people against God, and to get people to sin against God. Why? And he doesn't that to you and me too. He works on our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities and our temptations, and he tries to get you to sin against God. Why? Because he hates you. He hates you with a bloodthirsty lust that you can't comprehend and understand, and neither can I, beyond what Scripture tells us. He hates your shadow. He hates the day you were born. He can't wait for the day you die. Because at least then you'll go to heaven and you'll be out of his way. He sees you nothing other than a target to aim at. He is opposed to you because he's opposed to God. He is your adversary because he is God's adversary. But here's the good news for being in Christ Jesus. Here's the good news for being Christians. You see, as born-again believers in Christ Jesus, we not only stand blameless before God of our sins, weaknesses, and imperfections, Because of Jesus' death on the cross and his Holy Spirit within us, we also stand in an upright, righteous fashion with God. And through that, we naturally revere God. We have a high regard, high respect for God. And because of his Holy Spirit within us, greater is his Spirit in us than anything else is in the world. And Romans 8 tells us the Holy Spirit of God is that which helps us in our weaknesses and helps us overcome Satan and sin's temptations and makes us more than overcomers in Christ. Jesus. And that's because God loves you more, or I should say the power of God's love for you is greater than Satan's hatred for you. Does that make sense? Alright. So, this is what it was like with Job, I think. I think this is exactly what it was like with Job. God knew what Job was made of, God was all for Job, Satan was against Job, Satan attacked Job, and God got Job through Satan's attacks. Which brings us to points three and four, and that is, number one, we always need to have a better perspective of the bigger picture of what's going on. In other words, be careful about not acting impulsively, rashly, too quickly, not freaking out to fear and frustrations, but give God a little bit of time to stretch out your faith. Step back from the whatever and see, is there a bigger picture, a better perspective of the bigger picture in life? Because there might be things going on in the spirit realm that you're feeling in the physical realm, but you got to understand where they come from so you know how to fight them properly and how to overcome them properly. And number two, I learned from Job, if we don't give up on God, God doesn't give up on us. In fact, I know scriptures that say, and you probably do too, where it says God remains faithful even if, even when we are faithless. That's the amazingness of God's grace. But what I learned from Job is Job never gave up on God. And God never gave up on Job. He never cursed God and died. He never blamed God for wrongdoing. He asked why from time to time. I think that's incredibly normal. We gotta let Job be Job. Let him be human. He wasn't a superhuman. He was as normal as you and I are. So you gotta leave him some wiggle room and stuff. But his faith was never in flux. His faith was never in doubt. You never read that in Job's story. What you read in Job's story is this magnificent, suffering servant of God who goes through a horrible, horrible, terrible, tragic, beyond horrible season of his life that lasted about a year, over, under. And then you get to the epilogue of his life, and and you realize it was all because he had an all-weather faith in God. It's because he didn't have a fair-weather faith. Fair-weather faith would have ran away and not come back because it didn't get better for a whole year. Foul-weather foul faith in God, you say, well, well, he would have stuck to God. Yeah, but he probably would have died in his desperation when his wife said, oh, honey, end the suffering, just curse God and die, as Satan was snickering in the sidelines and in, in the shadows. No, see, this, this whole series is about Job and us having an all-weather faith. In God, like Job had in God, because an all weather faith in God gets you through any season of life. Because an all weather faith gives you the most comfort, the most performance, and the best traction to your faith in life. You go to the epilogue of Job's life, his story in chapter 42. Job says, I spoke of things I did not understand. And I think to myself, my Lord, how many times have I done that in my life? Where something bad has happened and my fears and doubts that things won't work out all of a sudden rose up and kind of took over. I got frustrated or the whatever and I looked up to God and I spoke to God about things I didn't understand what was going on. I think this is Job's kind of apology to God. I think this is Job's mea culpa going, Lord, I'm sorry. Man, I was shooting my mouth off about things I I don't understand. You know, I, I notice also Job does this. His three friends never do that. This is why Molary and Curly, I'm just like, no, with friends like that, you don't need enemies, right? Just kick them over there, keep them over there. Job's a different dude, right? Molary and Curly had a fair-weather faith, actually, if we can get into their psychology for a second. Molary and Curly, his three friends, they they were fair-weather faith and fair-weather friends, frankly, in Job's life, right? With friends like that, you don't need enemies. But Job was uniquely different. Job had an all-weather faith, and it brought him to a place of humbleness before God where he said, Lord, I'm sorry, man. When things were going really bad, I was talking about things that I I did not understand at all. And then it says at the end uh, of Job's life, after the season of suffering was over, it says, the Lord blessed Job in the latter part of his life with twice as much as he had before and twice as much as he had lost. Job lived to be 140 years old, and he died an old man full of years because he had an all-weather faith in God that got him through a horrible terrible season, long year-long season of suffering in his life. You see church when you don't understand and you can't see God's plan and you can't feel God's hand, you need to trust his heart. He's on your side. He loves you more than you could know and he's right there with you getting you through whatever it is you're going through. You're not alone as you feel. And so you need an all-weather faith that keeps you praying in committed, sweet, personal, intimate communion with God. You need to keep having communion with Him in His Word, not out of desperately seeking answers, but maybe under staying calm and carrying on and just needing that comfort and communion of hearing God speak to you through His words. You need to keep coming to church you might not be all happy and jumping around and everything because you're going through a season of suffering. Totally, totally understand that it's totally fair, but you still need the fellowship and the encouragement and the love of other believers around you. You need an all-weather faith in God that gets you through the times of perseverance, uh, uh, of persecution, because it's during the times of trials that tests what kind of faith we have. And through that testing, it develops perseverance in life that keeps you staying calm and carrying on through whatever season of life, no matter how slippery, so to speak, life might be. So whether it's your personal problems with pain Of whatever it is you might be going through Or the pandemic that now people are uh, suspicious of And kind of questioning and wondering about or, or the problems with politics that we're having now In Washington and different state capitals and everything And, and I get that, man I, I keep up on the news and, and I keep up on the Bible even more than the news Because I need it, man and, and so if it's personal problems with pains Or problems with the pandemic Or problems with politics that's happening in Washington and stuff like that, when life stretches out your fear, when life stretches out your frustrations, you need to allow God to stretch out your faith and your trust in Him because that's what will help you stay calm and carry on with an all-weather faith and trust in God. Amen? Amen. Now, uh, I'm sure we're all keeping up on the news and and watching Fox and other news sources and stuff, and I was reading some stuff last night. of, of what's going on and 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 things like that and, and and changes that that the president's making already and 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 stuff like that, okay? Um, and and we're probably headed for a, a hard a hard season for the next four years and there's no doubt there's I don't think there's any way to say we're not gonna be going through that because they're gonna be just wholesale changes from what we've been used to for for a, a while anyway, right? I've been talking to some of you and some of you have been talking to me and and I thought it was reasonable at this point in time to kind of give you just a quick hit what I think is a Christian's response to, to what's going on in, in our world and in our country right now. I, I didn't say anything right at the election because I've learned the wisdom of, of just reserving comment, let things play out for a little bit, let them, let them shake out, see how things might go, and then coming across with, with an opinion, recommendations, things like that, right? So let me lay on you uh, six things that I, I think we should do as Christians, that's reasonable as Christian American citizens, that we should be doing uh, in our country right now. I already gave you the first one. The first one is stay calm and carry on. Don't let fear get ahead of you the way Satan would like you to. Satan would like us to be running around in fear and frustration rather than staying calm and carrying on with faith and trust In God. I remind you what Isaiah 42 says. It says the plan the the schemes of the enemy cannot thwart the plans of God. And God still has plans for his church. He's got plans for you and me. He's got still has plans for this country. So don't be running around with fears and doubts that things aren't gonna work out. Start with stay calm and carry on. It's kind of a British phrase. I like British phrases every now and then. It's kind of like stay calm, carry on. I like that. Stay calm and carry on with an all-weather faith and trust in God. Remember, Scripture says the fears of man are a trap, but trusting in the Lord we're kept safe. And God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Stay calm, carry on, have an all-weather faith and trust in God. Number two, pray God's Holy Spirit all over the president, all over uh, the vice president, all over Congress, all over the Supreme Court justices. Why? Because Scripture tells us to pray for our leaders, so we should be doing that anyway, right? The ones we like, the ones we don't like, the ones we voted for, the ones we didn't vote for. Why? Because we need God's blessings in this country. And God's blessings in this country start in Washington. And people who who are prayed for, leaders who are prayed for, you say, Lord, give them your wisdom, give them your guidance, give your Holy Spirit, all over them, one of two things are going to happen. Number one, they're either going to be blessed by that and led and guided by that. Or number two, they're going to be driven crazy by that. But either way, I want God's presence all over the president, all over the vice president, all over Congress, all over the Supreme Court. Why? Because I want God in Washington. Because I want God to keep blessing the country. And I want God in the state capitals too. So I want you to pray for the leaders, God's, God's, uh, presence all over them. I want you to pray that God continues to bless the United States of America in spite of Satan's schemes against humanity and even against our country. And I want you to, to pray that um, that God, uh, pray that Satan's schemes, that God will thwart Satan's schemes and Satan's plans. Because he's the enemy of humanity, and he's the enemy of the church, and he's the enemy of this country and, frankly, every country. Number three, continue to teach and train your children up in the way they should go, your children and your grandchildren, in our Christian constitutionally-based heritage and history. I know math and science are really important, and I know English is really important for communication. I get all of that. But I think no other time in our national history is history more important it's important to know not just our history, but to know other countries' history so we can not make the mistakes that other countries have made in the past. I've been talking to my kids, and they're in their 20s, I've been talking to my kids now for a while uh, about Frederick Nietzsche's book that he wrote in 1901. It's called, uh, it's about how to, how to control a people, how to control a nation. It's, it's a five-pronged thing. We went over it in, in Revelation class and stuff because I think it plays into it. It was the foundation for Marxism. It also was the foundation for socialism and communism. I I also think it's important that we learn about Russia's history before, right before the Bolshevik Revolution, and see how Nietzscheism was the foundation for the revolution, where they went from czars to communism. And look how that turned out. I, I appreciate that math and sciences are important. I appreciate that English is important. But I, I think it's an incredibly important time in our nation's history that we learn history. Otherwise, we will be doomed to repeat the mistakes that other nations have made around the world, where they were promised everything, and they got zilch and nothing for it. Number three, we, or number four, We need to continually to peacefully exercise our freedoms of speech, religion, and to assemble. could also say the Second Amendment, too, but it's kind of hard standing in a church talking about exercising our Second Amendment rights, but we all have the Second Amendment rights. You know what they are. You exercise those, too. But peacefully speak up. Peacefully assemble together as Christians and peacefully worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? If for no other reason, if you don't use your freedoms... We will lose our freedoms. And so you say, Pastor, how do we exercise our freedoms of speech, assembly, religion? Well, among them, you could write, call, email Washington. Write, call, email your congressman or woman. Write, call, email the governor's office in Ohio. Write, call, email the state uh, legislature and state assembly members and stuff. Tell them that as a an American Christian citizen of this country— This is how you want your country to stay. You want your country to stay land of the free, home of the brave, and constitutionally based in all respects. Church, if we as American Christian citizens don't use our freedoms, we're going to lose our freedoms. But can you imagine if we all, across this great country, 75 million of us or more, all used our freedoms? To say, we're American Christian citizens, and this is how we want our country to run. We want to stay a government for the people, by the people, and of the people, and nothing else. If you don't use your freedoms, you'll lose your freedoms. And the sixth thing wraps back to the first thing. In all of this, stay calm and carry on. Have an all-weather faith and trust in God. If you're old enough to remember, you will remember a litany of things that God has gotten our country through before. And I guarantee, I, I agree with you that we are in unprecedented times right now. I, I get that. I, we're looking at stuff that people are considering in this country that we have never, ever considered before. And it's scary. I get that too. But in the face of fear, let God stretch your faith. In the face of frustration, let God stretch your faith. Don't freak out. Stay calm. Carry on, exercise your freedoms, exercise your faith, exercise your all-weather faith and trust in God because that is what will get you through every season of your life. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light to our path. And it's, it's positive and it's encouraging. It reminds us that even though Satan hates us, you love us and you're on our side. And greater is your Holy Spirit in us than Satan who is in the world, Lord Jesus. And, and Father, I thank you that you are so for us. I pray today as we go on about the day and as we go to sleep and dream tonight that you certainly will decorate our dreams with how much you love us, how much you're for us, and, and how much you believe in us and all of the good things that you still have for us in life, Lord Jesus. Father, always give us a better perspective of the bigger picture of whatever it is we're, we're dealing with and going through in life, Father. And we'll never give up on you because we know you'll never give up on us. And so, Lord, when, when, when life stretches out our fears and doubts that things won't work out and life stretches out our frustrations, Father, we need you to stretch out our faith and our trust in you, to have the kind of faith and trust in you that Job had to get us through the seasons of our lives. And we pray this, Father, in your name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Now God bless you for you here at home and you watching online. Here's what's coming up at New Promise Church. Hey everyone, don't forget after the second morning service is the informational meeting about the new NPC Food Pantry with Scott Bayline in the Hospitality Room. If you would like to be a part of this hands-on ministry to the less fortunate in the Kirtland community, meet with Scott Bayline in the Hospitality Room right after the second morning service.
3: H.E.R. is starting up Monday, February 1st at 7 p.m. in the chapel. H.E.R. is a ministry for girls of all ages from teens and up. We are going to be offering it in person or by Zoom. If you would like to be a part of it virtually, please email the church office for more information. It will be a great time of encouragement, empowerment, and fellowship in God's word. Mark your calendars for February 1st at 7 p.m. for this exciting new year of HER. Help spread the word of our New Promise Daycare that is reopening soon by telling your friends, sharing our advertisements on Facebook, and passing out our New Promise Daycare postcards that are at the welcome counter in the lobby. Thank you. On Wednesday, February 3rd, Pastor Rory will be starting a new small group called, Let Me Tell You About Jesus. How to get Jesus into our conversations at home, work, school, and out in the community. You must sign up in order to attend this small group that will meet in the cafe. The sign up sheet is at the welcome counter in the lobby. Don't delay, sign up today. Next Sunday, Pastor Rory will be preaching on worship with a message called, Getting Back to the Heart of Worship. Thank you for being here today at New Promise Church. Have a great and blessed
2: week. And just one follow-up to uh, the meeting on the New Promise Church Food Pantry. That meeting actually is today. Um, I know the slide said next Sunday. Uh, We forgot to make that correction. But it is today, immediately following this service in the hospitality room. Now, you've heard me tell you uh, for weeks and weeks... Uh, about the three ways to give here at new promise church today and and i know all of you regular givers you know all this stuff you you know the three ways to give and you know how god blesses a cheerful giver and everything and you know the budget needs that we need to make and everything else like that Uh, today i just want to say thank you for your generous and your faithful giving here at new promise church to helping to fund the ministries to get the gospel out to the Kirtland community, and out through the surrounding community, and through Facebook, um, out to across the country, and even up into Canada. It's all through your faithful and generous giving. Here at New Promise Church. It is just kind of awkward for me because of COVID. Because we don't actually take up the offering in person anymore. And so I, I never want to just skip over. Because I know we sometimes we'll have visitors. We'll have new people. They don't know how to give. Sometimes people watching online, they won't know how to give either and stuff. So it, it's just kind of awkward that if... Maybe it'll get easier when we start taking up the offering again in person uh, whenever that is or something. But I always want to remind you that God loves and blesses a cheerful giver. I want to always invite you to be giving because I know sometimes it's hard to give, but it is blessed to give graciously. And because we really do believe in God's word here at New Promise Church that He loves and blesses a cheerful and a generous giver. We can trust Him in tithing because He does say what his word says to do he pours out blessings upon us that we can't contain when we take him at his word and trust him with our lives amen so this morning i just want to thank you for your generous and and continued faithful giving here at new promise church so as we're wrapping up this morning let's pray for the offering and and then we'll close in prayer uh, as well all right heavenly father I, I do thank you lord for every man woman and child Who takes you at your word, trusts you with the tithe, trusts you with their treasures, trusts you with their time, and trusts you with their talents. They give back to your kingdom in so many ways, uh, of the ways that you've already blessed them. I thank you, Father, and I ask you to bless the offering this morning. And even greater than asking you to multiply the money for the ministry, I pray Father that you bless the giver of the gifts this morning, and multiply your ministry and your blessings in the believers this morning Father, and every man, woman, and child who gives to your church here through New Promise Church. Just ask you to continue now to bless us and keep us continue to make your face shine upon us and to be gracious to us father help us to keep in step with your holy spirit by living out your word every day of our lives as you raise your countenance and your presence upon us and you give us your peace as we walk in the light and in the shadow of the savior our lord jesus christ we thank you father for this day and as you have blessed us lord now make us a blessing to the people that we come in contact with the rest of the day today and throughout the week. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming out today. Have a great day. Have a great day. God bless.